Hello everyone and welcome back to Just Say It, Deja, a podcast by me, Deja. I want to thank you all so much for listening to the first episode, and if you haven't gotten the chance, I really hope you take some time to listen to it after this one. But for this episode, we are going to be discussing the Greek life system. Now, I know it's a topic switch from what I said in the last episode that I was going to talk about. I said I was going to talk about relationships during quarantine, but with everything going on, with all the uprisings, with all the conversations being started and had on social media, I just didn't feel like that was a relevant topic anymore. And now what I feel like is a relevant topic is the Greek life system, because what I've noticed with specifically with my sorority is that there is a lot of performative activism going on. There's a lot of, let's post this black box and continue to not represent women of color on our social media feeds. There's just a lot, and people are, you know, waking up to everything else. I figure, you know, we should talk about the Greek life system because it is something that has been notoriously just another institution of oppression for people of color and for women in general because it just perpetuates this idea that you have to act a certain way or dress a certain way even look a certain way in order to be a part of a sorority and that you have to socialize the fraternities in order to be popular or retain prominence on campus and that among other things just makes it such an outdated system at this point But we're going to get into all of that, and I'm going to break it down a little more in detail because it all kind of sounds like I'm generalizing right now. But I wanted to start off with a sort of timeline for myself on my experience transitioning from my hometown to going to UCLA to eventually deciding to join a sorority. So to start off, I grew up in Northeast LA, which is a predominantly Latinx area and most of my education or my schooling was full of latinx kids like i really didn't have any exposure to a lot of diversity so i was used to being around the same kind of people you know i knew how to interact i knew how to make friends within the latinx group like that was that was my shit that was my thing but and then I got into UCLA and it was like, oh my god, you got into UCLA, you have to go to UCLA, like there's no other option. Because I was originally set to go to UC Irvine, but when they found out I got into UCLA, it was just like everybody was talking about it and they announced it at the Powder Puff football game and you know, everyone was freaking out and then my teachers called my parents because I found out when I was at this football game and they called my parents and they were like oh my god, she got in, and my parents were calling me saying that I have to go, so I was like, fine, I guess I'm going to UCLA. But I had known nothing about UCLA other than seeing its logo and watch maybe like a couple of football games. Other than that, UCLA was not my dream school. It wasn't a school that I researched heavily. I knew nothing about this campus or what kind of people would be on this campus. So when I got there, even during orientation, I was like, wow this is uncomfortable i had no idea what it had been like up until that point in my life what it had been like to be in a predominantly white caucasian institution i had no idea and so even during orientation i was like holy crap this is going to be something but whatever orientation ends I go home, I still have like a month before school starts, and I'm like, okay, I got a taste of what it's going to be like, I got to mentally prepare myself. I was not excited, but I got to my first week of school, you know, I moved in, moved in on my floor, I moved in late, so I guess everybody on my floor had already bonded and made their little friend groups, and I felt really just out of place when I first got in. Um, My roommate and I didn't really get along. We had nothing in common at all. Um, Everyone would go to the floor meetings and there was a floor meeting like every couple of hours. It was ridiculous. It was like all they wanted to do was hang out with each other. Like 
the entire freaking first week. And it continued to be that way, mind you, for the rest of the quarter. It was insane. But, um, so, I end up spending a lot of my first week by myself because I just really just couldn't find a way to fit in with these people. So, I went to my first club fair. And there's, if you know anything about UCLA, during first week, freshman year, there's always... Or during zero weeks, sorry. During freshman year, there's always this enormous activities fair. It's literally called the enormous activities fair. And it's got every single club, fraternity, sorority, academic department, like anything you can imagine that is on campus is at that fair for the most part. So yeah, of course, every freshman goes because it's like you want to figure out you know, what you're going to be a part of, how you're going to fit in at this school etc etc so I went and I was looking at everything I was looking at the clubs you know well nothing was really standing out to me and what I really wanted to go see was the sororities because even before college I watched that show Greek if you haven't watched that show Greek on ABC I mean watch that show Greek it's enough to freaking tell you what it's going to be like to be in a sorority but you know, coming from that, having that knowledge, I wanted to see if it was real. I wanted to see if the Greek system was really like it was in the show. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go find the sororities. And and the first ones I found were the Latina sororities. And they looked super dope. Um, I really liked, you know, that they came up and they talked to me and they wanted to talk about their organization. And they were all, like, pretty stoked to be there. Um... But one thing I noticed was there there didn't seem like there was um, any Afro-Latinas in the group, at least from what I saw. And being mixed, I, I was kind of worried about that. I was kind of worried that, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really fit in too well. Um, they were very much, like, about La Raza and, you know, spreading Chicana heritage and literature and all that around and I didn't know anything about that so I was kind of nervous and so I kept them in mind but I decided that I wanted to look for something a little bit more diverse so I moved on and I okay at the time didn't see any black sororities I looked it up later and found out that there are four black sororities at UCLA, but I didn't see them flying or tabling or anything, so I ended up visiting uh, tables for the African Student Union and a couple of other black orgs, but it was the same kind of situation where I felt like I would be the only mixed person or one of the only mixed people and it would just be really hard to fit in. And I just didn't want to impede on, on that. Um, so then I found Panhellenic. And Panhellenic was just like, wow, everyone was wearing these crisp white shirts that matched. And they all had their hair done. And all their signs were the same, kind of really sparkly. And everything just stood out. And everyone looked like they were having such a great time. And everybody was smiling. And there was a mix of girls. It wasn't just all latinas or all black girls it was like everyone there was a mix it was white asian southeast asian all kinds of people were there i even saw maybe like two black girls i don't know i mean they obviously didn't have every single girl from every sorority out there but i was like okay you know what this seems pretty diverse this seems pretty interesting maybe i'll check this out so I took some of their flyers, and, you know, they were they were pretty friendly. They weren't, like, mean or anything. Uh, but I saw that recruitment was literally finna start, like, within the next couple days. So I was like, okay, um, I let me register. So I registered, and you have to pay to register for this recruitment, okay? I paid, like, $50 just to freaking do recruitment. But whatever, I was like, okay. If this means that I get to meet friends and I don't have to, like, do the most to, like, socialize on this campus, I can just meet everybody in one place and let me just do it. So I registered. 
and I got this packet that was like, welcome to recruitment for 2014, we, and it was just full of general information, but one thing that really stood out to me, that really messed with everybody's heads, was what to wear during each recruitment day, and there were five days for recruitment, so the first two days, the way it was broken up, is the first two days were just a general meet and greet type situation where you go in the house, you talk to maybe like three girls in in a rotation for like five, five to ten minutes, usually less than ten minutes, and you would go off into another house, and there are 14 houses at UCLA, well there were 14 houses, and you had to go to each one, so your first day would be a split of maybe, you know what, I'm not going to do the math, but your first day would be split, and then you do your second day, and then you make sure you get all the houses, because you have to meet everybody, and then the next day is a house tour slash philanthropy day where they take you on a tour of their house and they tell you what their philanthropy is because sororities are all about philanthropy and they're just all about fundraising and blah 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 but then day four is a used to be a skits and entertainment day where they would do a little skit about themselves or whatever to try to to try to show you how fun they are and how fun they can be Eventually that day would get eliminated though because I guess it gave the top houses an unfair advantage You know, it made people think that one house was better than the other and they wanted to avoid that So then day five Was preference day, which is like a bigger ceremony Where they would do something closer to ritual to basically invite you to join their sisterhood and for each of these days they they gave us some recommendations on what to wear and it was on some dumb like the first day like brunch with your mom or you know a date with your boyfriend or something and then day three was like come more casual but dress as if you were still going to a light tea with your aunt or whatever day four was a little more dress up like Wear like a sundress, wear like some some light heels, some some nice wedges. And then day five for the preference day, you had to come like fancy, like you couldn't wear any bright colors. It had to be like you were wearing a black dress and heels or like pumps. And the way UCLA set up, UCLA set up, UCLA sorority row is on a freaking hill, like a cracked up hill. So if you're going from the house at the top which is gamma phi beta all the way down to tri delta which is at the very end you're really hauling ass in these heels so girls would bring extra shoes and stuff but it was just like a constant mess of people worrying about what to wear just to meet a bunch of other girls and that would that should have been a red flag to me like right away but of course i was like okay whatever yeah i'll do it because <laughs> and i kid you not I kid you not, the first house I walked into was Alpha Phi. And if you know anything about Alpha Phi, you know that this was probably the worst first house for me to get. Like, just the whitest on the row. And I walked up in there with my Urban Outfitters, Mary Jane shoes, with a, a yellow dress or something, and a denim jacket. And... I remember the first thing that someone said to me was like, oh, cute shoes, like, with the most ill face. Like, she really was pushing that compliment out. But then I went and I sat down, and it was like the room suddenly just boomed. Like, everybody was talking so loud, like, trying to talk over each other. And it was just like, oh, my God, hello, welcome, my name is this. And what are you interested? What's your major here? Oh, are you a freshman? Oh, um, I really love your outfit. Oh, what high school did you come from? Oh, where are you from? Like the most general questions. And you're hearing the same questions from every girl every single time you meet somebody in this rotation in a new house. The same conversations over and over and over again. And it's just like a part of you just dies. Like, you are no longer a complex self. You are just an accumulation of 
a bunch of small questions that you hope you answered well enough because they make it seem like you absolutely have to be in this org like we are the best and it was so hard for me like I really just came out of that feeling like I just threw myself out the door and was like I will literally say anything you want me to say because I want you to like me because you all seem like you like each other so much here like I just want to be a part of this please and yeah so that was my whole first two days really rough really freaking rough because there was never any point where I felt like I could be myself like everything I was saying was just to get them to like me and I felt like anytime I did say something that sounded like myself it was just like scary or too hood or too much like I'm I sounded too much like I'm from LA you know and so eventually I ended up only preferencing Alpha Gamma Delta and Tri Delta and I felt comfortable in those houses but we'll get to the reason why I maybe felt so comfortable in those houses a bit later but so the way that things worked after each recruitment day you would rank the houses that you liked the most and the least on a sheet of paper and you would give it to your to your group leader and that was a girl who was already in a sorority she just led your potential new member group and we were all supposed to go through recruitment together on some being supportive and sticking to with each other, but... We literally never talked to each other. Or some girls did. I've never talked to anybody in my rush group ever again. But anyway, so you would fill out who you liked, who you didn't like. Give it to your, your bro gamma, the lady in charge. And she would send it back to the Panhellenic Council, which was taking in all these little surveys and trying to match who you selected versus who the house is selected so it's supposed to be some mutual selection process of like if this house put on their list that they want to see you again then and you ranked it pretty high then you would get you would automatically get that house so what is messed up as hell about this process is after those first two days of you ranking that third day, when you finally get what houses ask you back, you could go from either all 14 to one. And guess who got to one? Now, I got five. My roommate got nine. This girl who I met, the sweetest girl ever who was, I believe she was Samoan. She was a bit overweight. She got one. Bunch of people with disabilities who I had met, one. A lot of other POC girls between five and one. But every white girl got at least nine to 14. And it was heartbreaking for a lot of people. A lot of people felt that they had made connections with people in houses during those first two days to have them basically eliminate you right off the bat was just, it was, it was heartbreaking. Even my roommate was totally torn and she got nine and she was just sobbing because she just didn't get the house that she wanted. And she ended up dropping out of the process entirely. But, um, I was, like, fine with what I got because the houses that I did actually get were ones that I was interested in joining. I also didn't really want to have to deal with going to more than five houses because the, as the days went on, the sessions also were longer. And there were specific times where you would go to each house to participate in their activities. And sometimes those overlapped. Sometimes... You had to immediately finish one and then run up the hill to get to another one, or you would have to ask to leave early so that you can make it to another house, which was kind of rude. So I was happy with five. I also, I mean, I in, to argue in favor for this, you know, system, it makes sense because you can't have every girl joining every house or going back to every house. Like, you eventually have to make a selection. But it was just the kinds of girls who weren't getting asked back 
to as many houses and which houses they weren't getting asked back to was also a thing I did ask girls like oh you know what houses do you have and what don't you have and the girls who only got one were either put in tri delta or alpha gamma delta and now I'm gonna get into why that broke girls hearts and it's pretty it's pretty messed up but there was a website that was like greeklife.com or something or whatever where they would rank the sororities by tier from the the most popular sorority to the least popular basically a freaking hot or not list mostly run by fraternities and so of course the top three were i believe alpha phi kappa alpha theta and some other one kappa kappa gamma so those were like the top three and those were like predominantly white one or two token black girls maybe one or two token asian girls maybe top three and then the middle three were or the middle ones you know what i'm not gonna list all of them point is bottom three were alpha chi omega tri delta and alpha gamma delta and if you were to go into each individual houses like descriptions there would be little reviews and the reviews for the top houses were like oh hottest girls like popular with the most fraternities always like the most social the always always having to do with the fraternities always having to do with partying being in the biggest party houses right and then the bottom three were like oh the most sisterly like if you want to join these you you really joining for friendship like makes a lot of arts and crafts that kind of stuff and with alpha gamma delta it was kind of difficult because they were actually a chapter that had been recolonizing that year so they were like literally the house that would just take anybody because they needed those numbers so i'm pretty sure they invited back any anybody or everybody they they talked to so that caused a lot of stress for girls who were really going in wanting to be in a popular sorority and then sadly realizing that they were popular because you know like nod's head you you know and i mean i was chilling because i really vibed with tri delta bottom house or not like that sisterly shit was where it was at for me like that was what i wanted i wanted to make friends i don't really care about partying I was in a relationship at the time, so I was like, it's not like I really need frat boys to be all up on me anyway. So whatever, like, I went through the rest of the days. I went from the third day having five houses to the next day having three. I had, of course, I had Alpha Chi Omega, Tri Delta, and Alpha Gamma Delta. Then the last day I had Alpha Gamma Delta and Tri Delta. And the vibe of AGD was just not for me. Like, it was really... It was really like, yeah, we are recolonizing, but we we eventually want to be like Alpha Phi. And that's kind of how everybody acted. Whereas with Tridel, it was like, yeah, we're just here. We're just chilling. Like, we're us. And we're proud of that. So I was like, yes, I want to be in Tridel. So I prepped them. I already knew who I was going to get a bid from. It was going to be from them. So I, when I went to midnight, I got my bid. And... You know, I went over to my to Trito and the way Midnight is set up, just to break it down, you go into for us it was Ackerman Grand Ballroom, so a big ballroom on campus. And you have all the row gammas and they have all your bids and you go over to them and you get your bid from them and you read off, you know, who you got and you could accept then and there whether you wanted to accept it or or not. And a lot of girls who, who again, you know, really wanted one house versus the other one. When they saw their bid, they freaked out. They were crying. They denied it. They left. Um, some girls were, like, upset, but they still wanted to see, like, you know, maybe midnight will change my mind. I had a lot of friends like that, actually. And a lot of them, yeah, it did actually change their mind, so I was happy about that. But I went over, and, oh, all the sororities kind of stand around and wait for you to, like, join them. And they're all wearing, like, matching shirts, and they've got you know, like, party city, party year on, they brought the letters out, you know, it's loud, they're playing music, and 
once everybody's, you know, accepted their bid or not, they all come together, and you all run down to the house, and you have a big party that I learned from being sponsor chair in charge of midnight is actually really freaking expensive. They have a really expensive party <laughs> to welcome you into their house. Um, and I had a good time. Like, I had a really fun time. Like, that was the first time I felt like I could be weird in front of a group of girls at in college because I hadn't met anybody at the time where I felt comfortable being around and when I was in that house it was like everybody here is pretty much like me like I can just be weird I can do weird shit and they're just gonna love it and they're gonna live for it if I were to start twerking on this fireplace right now they'd be like yes Deja get it so I was like yes I love this I'm going I'm going to do this so I was super stoked super stoked started my pledging had my first pledge meeting the first pledge meeting dude they give you your expenses sheet what your dues are going to be as a non-resident and as a resident later on if you decide to live in the house and that whoo buddy it is expensive to be in a sorority on top of already paying for going to ucla which mind you let, let me remind you is thirty two thousand dollars a year so now you have to pay $360 of dues on top of an extra grand of rent if you're living there on top of a dining fee if you're living there or not living there you still have to pay to eat so in total I would probably be paying like $700 just to be in a sorority and that's every quarter there's three quarters so it's a lot of money like it's a lot of money on top of paying for everything else and I freaked out. I was like, damn, I don't know if I can do this. And I called my mom crying because I was like, I really want to be a part of this, but I don't know if I can afford it. And she, you know, reassured me it was going to be fine. Eventually, I found out that I could use some of my financial aid money to pay for it. Like, I would just have to take out more in student loans, which was fine because I was already taking out student loans. So I was like, it's, you know, I'll survive. But what I didn't realize was that joining what everybody called the bottom house uh, at UCLA meant that eventually because we were having so much of an issue getting new members because of that stigma my dues were going to increase rent was going to increase all of those numbers that we started off with did not end up the same by the time my organization was shut down and that has an effect your dues essentially pay for all of the budgets that officers are in charge of and all the officers are in charge of every facet of you know sorority activity so you know your parties get cut your events get cut your your volunteering stays the same because of course they expect that you can you can still manage to volunteer and do all that stuff but our, our meals you know they got less well, not less quality, but we had to find a chef that could work better within our budget. But we ended up having to sacrifice a lot and still pay more and more and more. And it was, it just got so overwhelming because on top of it getting more expensive, you know, I mentioned we were struggling to get new members. Like we were busting our asses trying to recruit, doing the most extra to recruit top houses they just had to smile at you and girls were ready to drop everything and join but with us it was like we were flyering we were having coffee dates we were having events on events on events we had continuous open bidding so the way that recruitment usually works for a house that has the right quota of people is you only do fall and spring recruitment just the two recruitment sessions fall being the biggest where you expect to get the most pledges spring where you kind of get some more scraggling you know members but you don't really need them it's just you know opening up the house if anybody else wants to join and we're willing to let you in but for us it was like fall winter spring always always recruiting and then during the summer we had extra recruitment preparation where we literally hired private companies to come in and teach us how to recruit people i can tell you so much about how to recruit somebody it's ridiculous and all of that all of that and we were still only pulling in 15 to 20 members every se every session and, and 
not winter. Winter was maybe, like, we got, like, five. And spring was, you know, it was a little bit better. But the continuous open bidding really didn't do a lot for us. And I can tell you all about this, too, because during my sophomore year, the year, it was my first year doing fall recruitment, I thought we did so well, and then we, we just didn't get the numbers that we expected, and my recruitment chair, the VP of recruitment, literally quit. She just gave up and just refused to do anything else for the rest of the year. So me and my friend were, like, invested enough to where we were like, dude, we're gonna have to do this. Like, we're gonna have to pick it up and figure out what we what we can do to make things better. So I literally was the head of recruitment for a bit and I can tell you that it nothing is more heartbreaking than a bunch of people telling you no because you are not a top house you are not you are too different from the top houses for me to even want to consider being in a sorority but we persevered I mean we pushed on we busted our asses we did the most we could and it really did make us stronger as a as a sisterhood to to have to deal with all of this, to constantly be stressed and tired. It was so overwhelming and we really had to take care of each other a lot more than I feel like a lot of other houses did where you can you can literally not know somebody in your chapter because there's so many people. We we knew everybody like we were a unit for real and that's not to say that we didn't have you know stragglers who who kind of acted like they wished they were in that sorority or they they had they were better than you or whatever like there was always you know that group of people but thankfully they just stuck to themselves we were just like all right bet whatever y'all can hang out with because at least for me i was fine i had my little friend group i was chilling i could actually be myself with those people but you know that's not to say I felt like I could be myself all the time. And now I'm going to get into why sororities freaking suck. Like, I've already probably sold that image, but I kid you not when I say everybody wanted to be like a top house, even us, which meant having to really, really, really whitewash the crap out of yourself. And it wasn't it wasn't just the girls who perpetuated that among each other the the alumni the 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 women who came in to work as advisors they were, I mean they they were all white they were all white and all a part of a tri delta that was mostly white like there was no diversity that I had personally seen or can vouch for and it made when your advisors are all white and they're telling you what to do how to run your operation giving you advice everything you do structurally becomes that way and you know we were doing a bunch of stuff that we didn't agree with i was an officer and i had my own ideas of what i wanted to do but i w it always had to be within the confines of what they would allow me to do i had a i had a roller skating event where for a bid night, I was like, I want to take all the girls out roller skating. And I found this email that was like, oh, but maybe we should ask our members not to wear shorts. Best to put our best foot forward, something like that. And I was like, at the time, I don't even think I responded to that email. Because they didn't even want to send me that email. They sent it to somebody in the recruitment department of our, our org and... That person CC'd me like, you know, this is Deja's event. Maybe we should ask her if that's what she wants to do. There was so much of this dancing around me, dancing around my ideas, saying that they were great, but, oh, maybe we should do it this way, or maybe we should take this part out, or maybe whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, And I let it happen because I was outnumbered. I was one of three three black people in my house most of the black people in my chapter were mixed you know we had some some latinas 
but it was mostly Asian, Southeast Asian, white. Yeah. So there was really nobody in there that racially I could relate to, culturally I could relate to. And we didn't have these kinds of conversations. Like, we never opened up... I never spoke with the other mixed black girls on, like, you know, what it's like for us to be in this org together, being who we are and where we're from. I feel like, for me, I was always really expressive about where I was from. I was like, you know what? I'm from Northeast LA. That I'm from the hood. Like, high key. When I was growing up, I lived in the barrio, like that's where I'm from and I feel like in doing that I put myself I, I opened myself up for being stereotyped I became the hood bitch I became the sassy bitch who spoke her mind I became a, a good time everybody wanted to party with me but you know that was that was pretty much it I wasn't really the person I mean, I had a close group of friends, but I wasn't the person that everybody came to for stuff, you know? Nobody was banging on my door to, like, talk about why Chad or Brad didn't text them back. Like, that wasn't my thing. And at the time, I was okay with it. But looking back, I'm like, damn, I really... I really did that to myself. So whenever I was feeling lonely or felt like I wanted to be more active in my chapter I had to act the way everybody else acted say what everybody else wanted to say go out and do stuff that everybody else wanted to do and I just wasn't about it I just wasn't about it going out was fun but I feel like going out for me ended up being more about being able to just get drunk and not have to think about anything as opposed to for everybody else it was like getting drunk to go hook up with guys from frats or whatever and <laughs> that's a whole other thing like being in a top house meant you were popular enough to get the frats attention and that meant too that you were also always partying with them you had like a designated hookup per house I had I there was a girl at one point that I knew who bragged about the fact that she had literally had a guy for every single house or she had hooked up with someone in every house and that was like her pride and joy and I mean you felt that you would go out to parties to frat parties at UCLA even if you weren't in a sorority and the instant you walk in, it's like all anybody, all these girls want is to hook up with some guy. There's a ratio of like 50 girls to 10 dudes. And all any of those girls want is some dude to pay attention to them. Like heads are just bobbing and weaving, trying to look around to see like, oh, does anyone notice me yet? Like hookup culture, hookup college, hookup culture is so ridiculous and it lets guys get away with so much that's why you hear so much about you know women getting raped at fraternity parties women getting raped outside of fraternity parties things being assaulted being followed home like all kinds of crazy stuff because no one checks these dudes because they're given this like position of being in power they can control who's the popular sorority they can control who gets invited to their parties or not like all kinds of just dumb dumb shit and partying there and they didn't even give you good alcohol they didn't even give they give you the crappiest alcohol you could possibly imagine that was just like literally gas lighter fluid like the worst and no chaser like they would get one thing of chaser and be like oh that's it for you guys peasants their bathrooms no toilet paper no kind of sanitary nothing it was just like the bros bathroom disgusting disgusting and they'd be like oh you want to come back to my room like no what your room that you share with three other dudes that smells like freaking cheetos and feet no disgusting but these parties they were like all anybody wanted to go to all anybody talked about like 
every week it was like, oh, you going out Thursday, thirsty Thursday, thirsty Thursday. But, you know, you would think that the cops would do something. You would think that they would shut him down for being too wild. Because, I mean, you got girls swinging over the, the rails trying to go up the stairs, super black, blacked out drunk, just stumbling in front of the houses, stumbling into other houses. But they just stood there. There's just two cops, one car, just just standing there watching. Like, even if a girl is passed out right in front of them, they're just, like, patting her on the back, like, oh, you'll be fine. If it wasn't for other girls, like tridults, mostly tridults, or AGDs, who would go up to them and be like, yo, are you okay? Like, do you need a ride home? Do you need water? Like, do you need help? If it wasn't for those girls, the the cops would literally, they, they do nothing. The Christians did more. The Christian groups on campus offered free rides home. Sometimes they would hand out free pizza and water, too. Like, they literally did more than the LAPD. And the UCPD. But, of course, when POC frats, on the other hand, had apartment parties that were a little too loud, a little too wild, too many people coming in and out, they would go bust that down and shut it down. Because with with those fraternities, they lived in apartment complexes that were subject to the rules of the apartments and the people living around. Even though it's mostly college students that live around, but whatever. There were some stragglers, some older people living in the area. But, you know, the Greek frats could do whatever they want. They could get away with whatever because it was their property and they had total control over what happens inside and out. So, that was the party culture. And, you know, some girls were not about it. They chose not to go. But a lot of women and girls encouraged other women to go out. And it was like the social, like I said, it was a social thing to do. And some of those women would protect the friends that they invited with them. And some didn't. Like some, like I said, some sororities were closer to each other and some weren't. I mean, I have plenty of stories myself where I've found random girls in corners drunk crying where I've had to walk them home or find them a ride home or save them from somebody. Like, I, the amount of saving I had to do. There was one situation where I was at a philanthropy event for my sorority and we were having it at a frat house and I literally saw a group of guys in the house across from me a group of them carrying this girl passed out up upstairs to where their rooms are. I called the cops and those fools, they're like, oh, we need to keep it anonymous. But had me go up to the house and literally be like, was it this house? Was it this? What, what window? I'm like, bro, if anybody sees me right now, like I'm going to be so freaking targeted. I mean, now I can tell you because I don't really give a shit. But eventually... I guess they went up in there and they got all the guys to come outside and they were all like standing up with or on their knees with their hands up and I just saw an ambulance come and I like being a reporter doesn't mean you get the um, ability to to hear what happens afterwards. So I literally have no idea what happened, what I prevented or what I didn't prevent. But it was that kind of stuff that like if I hadn't seen that, nobody else would have said anything. Who was that girl with? Who? Where were her friends? I have no idea. And the Greek life office didn't really do a lot to stop this kind of stuff. We had blackout weeks, which were like, these are certain days where we couldn't party. Like, even if you're n- not even a drinking age, they didn't even... Sp- I mean, they always were like, oh, if you're not 21, you shouldn't be out. But they just said in general, like, if the sororities are caught out... Then they would be fine, but, I mean, the same thing went for the frats, and they still had parties anyway. And these these blackout periods, they were, they were only for a week, and they were either soft or hard blackout. And they were mostly just during parent events, alumni events, or recruitment, because they didn't want us to make the Greek system look bad, and they didn't want to make it seem like partying was all we cared about. When really, it was a lot of what people cared about, and... They made they made us all take these sexual assault courses before each year. And it was a mandatory thing, but still a lot of people wouldn't show up, you know. A lot of people didn't take it seriously. 
a lot of people were on their phones. Like, I feel like a lot of the women took it seriously, but the dudes... And they were separated, so we had all women watching this, and then all men watching this. So, none of us really knew what was going on on the men's side. I think they tried to mix it up one year, but a lot of the guys didn't even show up. It was it was just messy. It was just messy. But my sorority always took that stuff really seriously. We were really protective of each other whenever we went out. If somebody needed to go home, like, it wasn't one of those things where it was like, I still want to party. Like, you can go home. Find your own way home. It was like, okay, fine. Well, I'll just go. Or I'll find somebody who maybe wants to go home with you. Or I will at least walk you to the free rides, put you in that car, go home, and then maybe I can just come back later. Whatever. Like, we were very on top of that. And that's why I was always really proud to be in Tridel. That's one of the reasons why. Other than, you know, the friends I had that were really just always there for me no matter what. Like, I was really I was really proud to be in Tridel. And then I felt like there was just this turn where we knew that we weren't getting enough members. We knew we were struggling. Our nationals team had started sending in a bunch of consultants to to try to help us uh, with our programming to make things better but even our consultants were like yo we're doing everything the best we can and it's just still not working and then we got to a point where it was like okay well you guys are financially so behind we need to take out a loan in order to pay for you know the the fees and things that we can't get because you don't have enough members and we were like okay fine like we literally have been fighting to save this organization we will literally do anything so they were like okay so how are you gonna help us pay off this loan and we were like well um I guess we don't really have many other options so we're going to have to just charge uh, our members more cut our budgets do just move money around so we can make things work and they were like okay yeah and after that, we started getting visits from more executives. The president of Tri-Delta came to our house and was talking with us, and she was really proud of the work we were doing, and she she said she totally believed in us, that we were totally going to get this crazy number of recruits. They expected us to recruit 80 new people in a quarter in during continuous open bidding. Actually, no. No, it was during fall recruitment. They expected us to get at least 80 people. We got 40, and we were stoked. Like, we were so stoked to get 40. That was wild from a an org that had only been pulling in maybe 20 at the least. What? Like, we were so stoked to get over 40. I think we got, like, 48. Actually, now I'm thinking about it. I think we got 48. But, you know, we kept getting these letters from execs, like, oh, we're so proud of you. We, we believe in you. You can do this you got this, whatever, and we were just, like, finally feeling it, we were finally, like, yes, we are doing something right, we are, we are recruiting in a way that works for us, instead of recruiting in a way that's trying to appeal to, like, this whole idea of we need to be a top house, we need to recruit more tall, skinny, white girls, people are gonna like us, and then they just, one day we got this email that was just so vague, it was like, oh, we were having this open meeting, and now, all these people from exec are coming and the people from the greek life office are coming and we're gonna we're gonna talk to the president again so they're like so now everybody has to be here we had it's mandatory and we we were basically invited to to the meeting where they were going to tell us that they were going to shut us down but they told nobody anything they didn't tell our alumni advisors they didn't tell any of our other advisors they didn't even tell the Greek Life Office, I don't think, until that day. My president came out sobbing. And as soon as I saw her face, I was like, oh my god, this is not... Because that girl didn't cry. So, I was like, this is, this is big. And then the president got on and she said... Oh, we're so proud of everything you've been doing. I'm sorry I haven't been more involved. Actually, I have thyroid cancer. But then she was like, oh, I'm going to be fine, though. I have all the resources available to me. Everything's going to be okay. But what I wanted to tell you guys today was we're actually going to suspend your chapter for the next four years.
And at that point, like, I didn't care about her, her sob story that she used to what? To what? To put a little, a little mallet down before she stomped on us? Like, cool. So I stormed out. I was, I was gone. I found out later on that they said something about, oh, we now have to, we're going to return all your, your deposits for next year's housing situation. But, you know, the UCLA will help you. The Financial Aid Crisis Center will help you find the resources you need to, to figure out housing for next year, to figure out financial aid for next year. And I remember I went back in after all the execs were gone and the, the, the person in charge of the Greek and, uh, the Greek life system, he was new. He was a new, he was a black man. He was new to the, to the position and he straight up stood in front of us and was like, I'm so disappointed. You guys are literally the most representative sorority on campus in the Panhellenic system. And we were like, yeah, great, thanks. But what is that going to do for us? You also let them shut us down. Like UCLA could very much have afforded to keep an organization on campus that has been on campus for 90 years. But they also did not a damn thing. So I was like, yeah, you know what? You did let the most representative group on campus go. And we were literally just about to make things better. We were literally about to try to to get Panhellenic to listen to us and what we had to say about the recruitment process and how we could better the recruitment process because we just, we just figured it out. But no, we weren't going to get that chance. We weren't going to get, we weren't going to get that chance to show everybody that being a diverse sorority could be a benefit and not a takeaway. And it just left us so bitter. It left us so freaking bitter. And I'm still, like, bitter about it. I had spent so much time trying to save this organization because it was something that I believed in. I believed in my chapter. Not the national, none of that. I believed in my chapter and what we could accomplish. Despite our little fights between each other, despite the whitewashing, despite anything I felt like we could we could be the change that we're seeing today with everything that's going on right now with everybody speaking up about everything i feel like that we were at that point we were at that breaking point where it was like you're gonna listen to me because i am valid my experience is valid but we just we we didn't get there we just didn't get there and it was just really disappointing and now it's been the four years since they said they were going to suspend the chapter and nothing has been said i was a part of an alumni group that started talking about it as if it was some bright light bulb that had just popped up that was like oh hey maybe we should bring back theta pi like it's kind of a shame that they shut it down maybe we should work harder to bring it back and i was like wow where were you guys when they shut us down and it was all these karens too who were like Oh my god, yes, here's a plan of what we can do. We can have all these alumni come in and help with recruitment and we need to we need to make sure everybody's there and just like pushing for so many people to start this up again. And I was like, where was all where were all of you when we needed that help? Where were you, Susan? On vacation in Hawaii again? Wow, thanks. And no, none of them had even reached out to us. I was commenting on these feeds and everybody was just ignoring me. Like, ignoring me. Like, my, sh my shit was invalid. Like, I wasn't making straight points. Like, I was on fire in that. And they were just like, oh, whatever. Like, sucks to hear. We're gonna try to recolonize this chapter again. But we are only gonna have people from the pledge classes between 1999 and 2006 help. Like, really? Like, not even the characteristic people who have been there within the last couple of years? Like, not even them? I was like, I don't even know what this house looked like from 1996 to 2006. Was it all white then? Was there was there a couple token people then? Like, your shit will literally be representative of, again, what a top house should be like. Not what we actually were. 
But whatever, at this point, I'm just like, let them have it. Let them have it. Let Panhel have what it wants to have. Because it is just so far gone. It is just so far gone. And I really wish I had just sucked it up and joined the Latina sorority. Even if I felt uncomfortable for the first, like, year or whatever. Like, I could have easily just figured out my way. If I could figure out my way in Panhellenic, I probably could have figured out my way anywhere else. And I probably could have done a lot to help them too. Because what is so messed up about UCLA is Panhellenic fraternities and sororities have full mansions. Full freaking mansions. Where the POC groups, the black groups... They do not have houses. They do not get houses. And if they get uh, even apartments, they get raided by LAPD. And there's there's plenty of money for that. I mean, these organizations can raise money. I've seen them do it. They can raise hella money. But would UCLA ever give them that? Like, would they give them a literal piece of UCLA property to do that? I don't know. Like, and that's, it's so twisted. But I hope that does happen. I hope that UCLA wakes up. I hope that Panhellenic wakes up. There was always a house on Sorority Row that was up for rent until finally they allowed a Christian sorority to take over it. And I was like, wow, you really couldn't have just given it to a Latina sorority or a black fraternity or something. No, they had to wait for a Christian sorority to take over it. And then even then, it was like the rooms were for rent. It wasn't even a fully, like, operating... Well, actually, I don't really know what it was like, but they had rooms for rent in there for anybody. Like, it wasn't closed off or exclusive. But whatever, that could have been space used by somebody else, at least in the meantime. But they didn't even give POC, sororities, or fraternities a chance. So, I hope I hope that they do. But... I mean, we'll see. I don't really know. I'm just... All I can say is I'm glad I'm out of it. I'm glad I made the friends that I did and I learned how to be, you know, the professional I am. I learned so many skills that I never was paid for, literally. (sighs) In the policies, it said no officer will be compensated for any work done on behalf of the chapter. Like, (laughs) all the stuff I did, I literally could have gotten paid for by somebody who had the money to pay me for it but but I did it for free because I was all about it you know I was all about Trialto and now I'm just not now I just don't care anymore and I've heard enough stories from other people in sororities I've heard enough stories from people in my own sorority that made me just think really this whole organization is not it's just not worth it. Even in the last couple of days, skater friends have come to me telling me their sorority stories. My people from my chapter are telling me things that I didn't know before. Like at a conference, somebody said, a board member said, we are proud to have been and always will be a one-sex organization. Like, Really? My homegirl, who was the president of her chapter, literally got called the N-word by some frat bro. And then, like, on Facebook, and then on in her face. And her sisters were like, oh my god, chill, we love them. And then the frat asked them for, like, a letter of rec or something. And she was like, uh, no. Like, there's just so many problems in the Greek system. And I just feel like if you are in the Greek system... And you're a POC, watch your back. If you are not in the Greek system yet, be careful with what you're getting yourself into and brace yourself because it is not, even if your chapter is chill, the system that the Greeks and sororities are built on was not built for you, boo. If you're white, then yeah, totally fine, chill. Like, you probably won't have any issues. Other than maybe having to stand up for your friends all the goddamn time to the higher-ups. But just, just, just be weary. 
That whole system is, I feel like it's fit to crash and burn. But we'll see. We will see. Whew, I know that was a lot. And I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast. This was a topic that, you know, I'm sure has become clear was really important to me and I felt like needed to be talked about. If you want to talk to me about anything I've said, feel free to reach out to me on my Instagram. And if you have any stories you want to share with me, I would love to hear them. I, you know, I can't really do a lot for you, but I'm here to support with whatever, you know, is going on. And yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this platform again. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to see you guys on the next one. I'm not going to announce what the subject is going to be because I'm afraid that I'm going to change it again. So we'll just keep it. We'll just keep it moving. You know, thank you. And have a great rest of your week. All right. Bye, everybody.